Taylor. Yeah. Instead of humming. Yeah. I'm going to play something on my computer for you and I want you to tell me it's from. Okay. okay yeah. So um, don't look at the computer screen and cheat. Okay. okay I will. Do you know what that's from? No. It's from Lost. Do you remember Lost? Yes. I've been thinking about rewatching Lost lately. Well, um, I, I the reason I got on that is I was going to, we have a friend's quiz follow-up we are, we're going to do today. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, I was thinking I should hum a song from a show like you did at the office. Yeah. But I can't hum. I was going to do um, Full House. I couldn't hum it. Can you hum Full House? Mm, yeah. Try it. Da, 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 See, you're not da, humming da, though. Da, 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 da. Okay, but you're da, 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 I'm so confused about what what is what do you think is the difference between those? Hum things? is in your nose. It's da da dying is with your tongue. Okay, hold on. On the I what is it? The it. labial or the I, gutter? What is the what's the teeth one? It's right. Dental. It's the dental. It's the dental da da does. Okay, I can still hum full house. Okay, hum full house. It's hard. It's harder to hum. It's harder to be crisp and humming than it well, is with yeah, the dental da da thing. It's literally what? Of course it is. It's not crisp. I couldn't do either, so I'm going to compliment you. <laughs> I couldn't dental it or hum it. But I like that show. Anyways, that was Lost. Full House is a great show. Uh, it was Fuller House came out too recently. Yeah, Lindsay I didn't watch. Uh, Lindsay was into it. I didn't watch that. Um, so you were thinking about Lost. Yeah, I've been thinking about rewatching it lately. I wonder how much of the magic would be there in the second attempt. Um, well, I, you know, I didn't watch it as it was airing. I Did watched you it, binge like, it one summer in seminary. Oh, yeah. Wow. Was it enjoyable? It was. Did it feel dated in any way? Uh, um, not that much. So um, I watched three seasons on Splurge and then like caught up in the middle of season four. Okay. But what a what a, what an addictive show it was for me. I was in college and it just wasn't. I'm sure there were a lot of college campuses where people were watching it every week or whatever. Uh-huh. And in fact, I'm sure probably at Washita there were people doing that. But like, I just didn't watch much TV in college. I was just like I was the same way. Co- college is my least. It's the least I can recall about pop culture and about um, sports. Oh, yeah, me too, probably. Like, I don't know who won the World Series those years. I don't... It, it feels like a little bubble, especially... I mean, I think you were... I don't know, maybe campus was this way, but, like, I was, you know, at a small yep, Baptist same. school in Arkadelphia, Arkansas. Yeah, I was in a big city, but we were kind of tucked away in a suburb on a lake. Yeah. And so it just really felt like... The whole world was right there. It actually was sort of a frustrating time for me. College. Really? Um, yeah, that that whole feeling. I mean, like, I love my friends from college. They're still so lovely and wonderful, and I love them so much. And the, like, relational experience was fine. But I think the cultural experience for me was like, oh, gosh, this is overwhelming. You had that sense while you were there. Yeah, I think so. Well, but I didn't, you know. Does the bubble refer to the smallness of something or does it refer to just the the insularity of the worldview provided by the institution? I do think it's 
You mean for me personally when it comes to like that? Space? Well, because my question was going to be, does Baylor have a bubble? And I think everybody would immediately say yes. Uh huh. But if that's true, then for me it would be the latter. It wouldn't be the size because I think you have access to almost every cultural sort of reality and pop well, pop cultural reality at Baylor right now in a way that I don't think I did at my school. But it's the well, but I do think of the worldview. Yes, yes, the insularity of the worldview for sure. Like, yeah. So pop culture, I think, is a fair comment but like cultural um like you know i think i grew up in dfw and so like i was used to a lot of different types of people and types of belief and just like interacting with people who were very different from me all the time every day and at washita and even some i mean even at baylor it's like you i was often only interacting with white people who maybe um maybe socioeconomically we could make an argument for like we had some different representation going on there mm-hmm. um but as far as like um belief and experience a lot of it is very similar yeah and so i think that was really overwhelming and sort of stuff and that would be true of Baylor too yeah i mean all the statistics all the, the sheer numbers are larger but i bet the, the stats are similar in yeah. terms of I would bet 50% so. of people are Calvinist or whatever they are. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I wasn't even thinking about that much, but about that, but like. Sure. But pick your category and substitute the numbers. And I bet it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Taylor. Yeah. Lost. Lost. Yeah. So I binge watched it over the course of like six weeks. And I think maybe it's like I should go back and pay a little bit better attention, you know? Yeah. Let's um let's keep this going, but I'm gonna put a call into Kathy right now. Okay. In case she doesn't pick up, there's a chance she'll call us back. Oh yes. So listener, we wanted to call Kathy Cry. Yeah. She texted us last week and she said she got every quiz question right on Friends Quiz. How many did I miss? I missed. Well, like we don't one. know. You maybe didn't miss any. That's true. But we don't. She, we, <laughs> we don't know. Yeah, because you didn't. We didn't have her confidence. Is what we don't have. Yeah, we didn't have her confidence. That's what she really has. This, by the way, is the mother of our basketball analysis. Yeah. And her boss. Soon to be boss boss in August. Boss boss. Chair of the leadership team. Big boss. She's probably like in a meeting with Linda Livingston or something. Yeah. She's probably doing something very important and very hey, helpful. <gasps> Wait, did you answer? Yes. Oh, I thought it was your voicemail. Hey, you're live on the podcast. Oh, wow. Okay. Kathy, we are here to get to the uh, friends answers we are unsure of, Okay. Yeah, so the friend song, we're confident about that. That's I'll be there for you. Coffee shop, we know that name. I'm just going through the questions live now. One instrument was guitar. We knew that. What hangs on the door is the picture frame. What is the name of Rachel's hairless cat? Do you know that one? Give the answer choices. Uh, What were the choices? Baldy, Mrs. Whiskerson, Sid, or Felix? Mrs. Whiskerson. That's would be my because that's the the least likely to be made up on that list. Uh, Phoebe's alter yeah. ego we knew. Um, was it uh, who is Chandler and Joey's TV magazine addressed to? Chandler Bong. Mrs. Chandler Bong. Yeah, Mrs. Chandler Bong. Okay. Um, oh, here's one. What kind of uniform does Joey wear to Monica and Chandler's wedding? Oh, yeah. He wears, it's like a World War II yeah. army uniform because he was playing this role in a movie. Okay, that is right then. But w- w- he's at Caesar Palace at some point and also wears a, a guard uniform, right? Isn't yeah. It? 
Is that right? Yes, I think elsewhere. In the but, but to the wedding, he comes in this like army green uniform with like this little pointy hat. The little hat, yeah. yeah. And and nobody gets married in Vegas, or there's not an attempt at a marriage in Vegas ever. No, there is. Um, Rachel and Ross do. Yeah. So didn't he show up as a Spartan to that wedding? I don't think so. I don't think so. No. Okay. Who who sang the Friends theme song? Rembrandt's. Gunther, we know that one. Oh, my God. That's Janice. Um, <laughs> what job did Chandler do? Data processor, is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. We're getting there, Kathy. Um, Drake Ramore's <laughs> Joey. Chandler's middle name, Mur- Muriel, Jax, Jason, Kim, or Zachary? Uh, Muriel, I think. Okay. That was our guess. <laughs> um, Joey never shares food. Ross, hey, which university does Ross work at in season six? NYU? Yes. Okay. NYU. Um, what is Monica skilled at? Cooking, we know that. Smelly Cat, we know that. Um, Ross owns Marcel the Monkey. Uh, oh, what was the working title for the show before they settled on Friends? Goofy Paleontologist, Six of One, Mates, or goal, Squad Goals? Six of One. Okay, that was our guess. Oh, what iconic city were the opening credits filmed? New York, Boston, Burbank, or London? I Wait, I've learned that this week. Well, let's see if Kathy gets it. What are the options again? Kathy, do you hear me? Uh, yes, I'm thinking... Um, shoot, hold on. Let me think for just a second, because it's not in New York. That was our guess um, last I'm week. Pretty- it's it not. was in Burbank. Yes, you're right, Kathy. Kathy, you're right. How did you know that? I learned that this week. <laughs> How'd you learn it? Um, I was listening to I don't to know. That. I just have weird friends' knowledge. This was my, you know, pivotal coming of age show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how old are you, Kathy? If you want to say. Four. I'm 44. Yeah. So you were like a little more so, prime. Like the first season came out when you were 18-ish. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So, like, my freshman year at Baylor, um, it was a really big deal because, remember, no one had TVs or computers or streaming devices in their own room. So, our whole hall would meet, like, in the common room and watch it on this big, old, um, big screen TV that was, like, a huge box, you know, that was, like, the size of the wall. Oh, my God. Um, See, I bet that was... I bet that was a special moment in a way that us millennial suckers didn't get to experience. Kathy, I have memories right. that of that happening when I lived in Collins, just in like 2015, 16. Like not for oh, wow. not every week, but like occasionally. Like um, I don't know. I have a. I just have a strong memory of like being in the lobby with a bunch of girls watching. Uh, something. It's so fun. I wish that had been happening every week. Yeah. It's like so fun. Yeah. It was fun, and it was, it was kind of like, you know, the must-see TV thing, because you had to watch it when it aired. So, you like, everyone yeah. had to be there at that. There was no other way to catch an episode if you missed it. No. And so, everyone... Well, Kathy, you could record on the VHS tapes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess you could. Kathy, were you the one that texted me about the um, Enjoying the Holderness Family Gen X video this week? Um, yes. Yeah, I, I, I could identify with a lot of that. Yeah, and I remember watching that video, it made me laugh, because I remember that my rich friend had 
a device that its only purpose was to rewind the VHS tape. Because it was so much like, effort it was to wait. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like okay. a standalone rewinder machine. Yeah, I remember that. Okay, uh, what accent does Ross start doing when he's teaching class? Scottish, English, Irish, Welsh. Oh, gosh. Those, those are all so similar to me. To your point, I don't know if I know the difference. Yeah, that was my... For Americans, we can't we can't hear that nuance. What did you say? I just know it's a British accent. That's, I mean, that's all I ever thought of it as. I yeah. never had more nuance Yeah. used a British accent. I was talking to Kieran recently, and I met a friend who also is from Great Britain. And I was like, oh, she talks just like Kieran. And then, and I hadn't been with Kieran like recently. And so then I saw him recently, and he started talking. And I was like, no, that girl sounds nothing like Kieran. And I'm just like a dumb American. <laughs> um, Kathy, number one Yemen road, Yemen. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. That's where. Kathy, can you hear me? Yes, sorry, cut out for a minute. Number one, Yemen Road, Yemen, is that right? You didn't ask the question. Yes. It's because she'll intuit it. That's uh, such an obscure answer that she'll know the, the okay. question. Okay. All right, and then there's only That's two right. two left here, but I, I lost my page. Okay. Um, who dates Paolo? That's Rachel. Rachel, And yep. then what does, oh, what does Phoebe not believe in? Evolution, train, space, or the color blue? Um, let me think about this for a second. She doesn't believe in evolution. Yeah. That's what Taylor said. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's evolution. Well, who knew, who knew Phoebe was a born-again, spirit-filled Christian? <laughs> Ross and her, yeah, Ross and her get into a big argument about it. And he, like, tries to prove it to her. Well, Kathy, thanks for letting us be a call-in on our quiz to um, to get some feedback on yeah. this. Hey, thanks, Kathy. We, we needed a... We needed a Gen X Pro. Yeah, for sure. That's right. Hey, I'm here for you. Okay, boss. You're great. Your kids are great. Your family's great. Even your husband. <laughs> Even? Well, I said the hey. kids. I had to include oh. them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll pass that word along. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Okay. Well, there you have it. There. All the quiz information you needed. You have it. Yeah. Kathy's so funny. She's great. All right. Should we try Hopster? Do you want to do this? Do you want yeah, to like yeah, yeah. Call Lucy Hoppy, another boss of ours. Another boss of ours. And I, she was busy last week at this time, so I don't think she'll be free. But it can't hurt. Last week, or yesterday. <laughs> well, actually, I should save this for a different, for another portion of this time. Yeah. But Lucy's the best. Lucy's the best. We should tell listeners while we're ringing, we want to have a conversation about Latinx. Yes. And we don't think it'd be great for two white people to do it. No, we do not. So we thought. Also, maybe. should we put Lucy on the spot? We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, if, she's she willing, no. if she's willing, we can edit it out. Yeah. It doesn't also. look like she's going to answer. <laughs> so, so it's true. fine. Yeah. yeah this well, might always. Your call has been. Okay. No, Lucy, happy this week. All right. Well, let's let's march onward, soldier. Okay. Um, Taylor, you know what else got shut? My thing. Hey, I have a question for you. For me. So I preached a sermon two weeks ago. Uh huh. And I. I invoke the five senses at the beginning, and I listen to this fascinating thing on the daily about asnotic, asnotic people, as as something like that. Nautic? Asma, asmatic, 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 not as that's asthma. 
Okay, what are you... I think it's asnotic because it's a nose. Like, you know, in a something, it's like negates it. Okay. And nose, asnotic. Mm-hmm. But it's people can't smell. And my, how important smell is now, we think. My dad can't smell. Really? Yeah. Anything? No. Does he love to eat? Because uh, I've... He does like... I mean, he has... Like, he really likes barbecue. Huh. Um, he likes... Yeah, he likes The to asnotic eat. person who wrote the article said she loves eating, but for different reasons. Like... What the taste buds can sense on their own, uh-huh. which are like sweet, salt, yeah, um, and then texture. But like the nuance we get because of our smell, uh-huh. they don't get. Yeah. Well, which my is dad just wild. lost his sense of smell. He like was in an accident in college Whoa. and spent like a semester in the hospital. And He would be fascinating to talk to you about no smell. He would be. You know, I've, I have, it's like one of those things where I just um, spent... Uh, this is my whole life he could never smell anything so i never really asked him much about it you know yeah you just it was yeah it just was so that would be an interesting combo well my question for you is what's your favorite sense and maybe the other way to ask it is if you had to lose one which would be least willing to give up (sighs) that's hard huh yeah have you thought about it um well i think it would be terrible to say your sense of touch I suspect that that is your most immediate need. Is, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm thinking drastically. Like, either you can or you can't feel anything. Right. But even then, because, like, how would you walk or how would you balance if you couldn't sense pressure in your toes to take your, you know what I mean? That kind of a thing. Yeah, that's true. But, like, assuming there's varying degrees of that, right? Yeah. So, that being said, I think sight. And I think most people would say sight. Would be your least the, devastating? No, that would be the most devastating. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I also think sound, like hearing things. Yeah. I mean, I do think smell probably is like, okay, so hold on. Uh, Sight, taste, oh, touch, smell, and hearing, right? Are taste and smelling on there? That's the five? I don't know. What What else would it be? Yeah, because I did the thing about the sommeliers, the tasters. Yeah. Yes. Me, Brie, and Kathleen watched a movie. About sommeliers? Uh-huh. Well, anyways, I wouldn't want to lose any of them. No. Because I love music so much. Yeah. But, um, although this is, I don't, this is kind of finicky because I don't, you know, there are people who deal with these things, so it's to like calm yeah. it down and feels a little, but um, I, I, I love music. I also um, would, but if I were deaf, um, if there's a different language, which is sign language, it's its own kind of beautiful. Yeah. But I would miss being able to hear classical music. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would have to go with, like, taste or smell. Really? Yeah, I think so. I think I might go with hearing over taste or smell. I don't know. Yeah, because words have, well, like, yeah, like you said, sign language. And, like, words have their own kind of beauty even when just, like, read in your head. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for playing that game with me. Of Think course. about it if you want to change your answer. Um, can I tell you about a roller coaster I've been on? Yes. So I got a Robin Hood account. Oh, right. And yes. if I have a little extra money at the end of the month, I'll throw money in there. Okay. Um, but the other day, impulsively, like actually two weeks ago, okay. guess what I did? Invested in something big. I threw $1,000 into Dogecoin. Okay. Right. And I've been riding the roller coaster since then. How's How's it going? Well, I'm up $120 right now. Oh, wow. But at one point, it was up a whole $1,000. Wow. And now I've been down like $300. Wow. 
So. Oh my. None of it is real until you sell. But what a wild world we live in that a fake currency that's based on a joke could be a thing to trade on the stock market and oh. make or lose money. Yeah. It doesn't seem. Also, I've been reading up on these non-fungible tokens. Have you heard about this? Fungible? Yeah. No. Well, they're called NFTs. Fungible means tradable. Okay. So, um, you know, like um, you can trade uh, dollar bills. Yeah. But if, uh, well, they explain this. Anyways, fungible means tradable. So okay. Non-fungible tokens. I don't know exactly. I shouldn't try and define it. You can it. trade stocks. Right. Too. No, that's why I'm backtracking. Anyways, it's based on blockchain, which is the same technology as cryptocurrencies, which okay. I've explained blockchain this way. It's just a long receipt that keeps track of every person who's owned an item. So if I sell to you, you sell to It's always whoever owns it. It's just their name gets added to the list so it continually grows. Okay. But it shows ownership. Okay. Okay. Well, they're using this technology for all kinds of stuff now, like voting. So you could keep track of like authentic voting then so there can't be cheating, you know? Yeah. Um, but one of the great. critiques is their environmental concerns because you have these long receipts out there that are ever expanding for all these things like coins, right? And if there's millions of them, there's all this data backing up this data on who owns what. Wait, people are concerned about what? The environmental cost of non-fungible tokens. Or it really blockchain is the thing. But, okay, these are real receipts or they're just on They're the real computer? digital receipts. But think of this. Um... If like every time I add to a piece of paper, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, but this isn't a, it's not real. It's on the computer. I know, but it still takes real data space to store numbers. Okay. Okay. Right. And if you're, if you're not allowing the things to be erased because for it to work, you have to have the always the show whole the whole ownership. Yeah. Um, so anyways, uh, now people are, this is really interesting because your intellectual property is a big deal. Sure. Yeah. But like if I want to create an image and I assign a blockchain to it, then it's a, a non-fungible token. Meaning, sure, you can copy and paste it, but now we have a way to show who actually owned it first. Uh -huh. And so if I want to sue you and take you to court, I now have something to point to and say, I have proof of ownership. Yeah. It's a big deal. That is so a big deal. So people are non-fungible token all kinds of things. Audio files, a guy wrote a New York Times article on non-fungible. Fungible tokens? And then made it a non-fungible token, his times, and then sold it for $750,000. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's crazy. So Should I do that? Well, we I don't know. We would have to buy... Ethereum is the, the cryptocurrency that you can do this with. Okay. That's what I heard. So you get uh, you get an Ethereum coin, and then you can make it a non-fungible token. We could take. A, we need a... It was either this or a non-fungible token. Is yes. Yeah, obviously. Wouldn't that be great? Um, yeah, I'm, this is a little over my head. I'm not, um. Well, anyway, I'm doing the Dogecoin. Okay, good. And um, I'm going to be a millionaire someday. Yeah. Wouldn't be that be good. great? That would be great. Well, I just thought I'd bring that up because it was going on in my life. Can I tell you a different <laughs> Thank thing? Thank you. So we're four weeks into church outside. <laughs> we are. And, um, I, I think yesterday we had a bump again. It was a good Sunday in terms of attendance. Yeah, it was lovely. Uh, it was probably my favorite outdoor service. So far. Yeah. But um, it was a little warm. This you is what I have that? to say. Uh, it was okay. Mm -hmm. I wasn't doing anything, so that was nice. Mm -hmm. um, I think that people very soon are going to be regretting that they all wanted to get to church. And they're like, hey, church in pajamas was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. That's what I think. I think there are people who have never come and they're like, you guys are suckers for putting on clothes and not staying home. Yeah. I may now be. Um, backtracking on my commitment to have online church forever. 
<laughs> yeah, truly. Because <laughs> there are some people who are just going to do it now. Yeah. In their jams. Yeah. They surely are. Uh, but I think when we're back inside the building, it'll be different. And we've talked about, you know, when we have kids' services and stuff again. We will see. It's going to be a rebuilding project, I think. We will, I think so, too. Well, what I was thinking about yesterday, or maybe this morning, actually, was, um, you know, I when I started this job, Emily handed me, like, a, a volunteer base that she had. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, I've, you know, we are, as we've talked about, pretty transient place so like since that happened five years ago i've like you know people have left people have come Mm -hmm. we've got new volunteers and people who stopped volunteering and um all of that but never before have i ever had to like start from scratch start from scratch yeah and i'm just a little nervous that like if i don't like you know we we have to have a certain number of people. Yeah. And so um, I was just thinking about it. But I'll send out an email. to my, I mean, like, you know, I haven't done all the things I need to do to know how many people we'll have. But Yeah. It is that season of life. Yeah. We're just putting everything back together. Well, Taylor. Yeah. Did you know there was a national fight of the Joshes this weekend? No. I don't know even know what that means. So somebody started like a... I saw screenshots on somebody's Instagram. Okay. But it was like somebody created a group with all Joshes. Okay. Like and Hollywood Joshes? Or? No. Average Joe Joshes from what I understand. Oh, my. And then like somebody's a joke posted, we're all going to meet and have a light or lightsaber fight. And the last one standing gets to keep the name. Our bell says to change hers. <laughs> okay. So it's like one of these things that grew as a thing but blew up. Uh-huh. So in, I think Lincoln, Nebraska this weekend, thousands of Joshes from across the U.S., Got together with pool noodles to fight. Okay. And crown who is the Josh? How would someone lose? I don't know. I didn't get into detail. Okay. I just okay. know that there's this clip now going around that somebody should make into a non-fungible token. Yeah. Of a <laughs> five-year-old Josh who won it all. Yes. Five-year-old yeah. Josh. Great job. We're yeah. proud of you. But this is why I was thinking about this. Okay. Interesting. So I saw a tweet this week from our Sam Goff, another yeah. one of my bosses, my HR boss. And um, it was like four fictional Sams who represent you. And then you like do these. So he had like Toucan Sam and he had another Sam, Sam, Sam. So I'm going to do this. So I'm like start Googling fictional Joshes. Yeah. There's, I mean, of course, a bunch. But there's only like two that I could come up with that are like recognizable that I could put. Josh is not a name that you make a movie star out of. I don't think Taylor really is either. Oh, bull. Honky. Who's Taylor? I don't know. Fictional Taylors? There's got to be a lot. That's a great name. I think Taylor's a great name as well. But, like, but I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. Oh, I'm going to get some data. And provide okay. You. But uh, the only Joshes I could come up with are Josh Lyman. Okay. And Josh Baskin. Do you know that name's from? Josh Lyman. Great Josh. Um, Famous 80s movie. Baskin. No. Um, it was big. Remember Tom Hanks? Yeah. Those are the only two Joshes. <gasps> That's a great. On the whole list. That's I couldn't recognize Josh. any. Yeah, those are... So I couldn't make any. Fiction. Those are two really good ones, though. Good Josh's. You know? Yeah. Quality over quantity. I think, though, that my name is underutilized as a good character. Do you think, I mean, I guess you could get, like, uh, Jesus. Well, Marshall Cook made a great meme joke. Did he? Um, that I, I actually had preconceived a version of, but he did it. It was, for all you Josh's out there, here's the ultimate Josh fight winner. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's a great one. <laughs> yeah, that was clever. So that's three Joshes you have. Yeah, I thought about that. Um. Okay, well, can I tell you the funny thing that happened with Lucy Hoppy yesterday? Yeah. It actually, of course, as you guys probably can guess, happened with the fifth and sixth graders okay. because they are excellent. Mm-hmm. And, um, but while we were, uh, you know, there had been rumors about Kim Mulkey. Oh, uh, this is on my list. Yeah. And while we were having Bible study, one of them said, hey, I just got a text message from my friend. Kim Mulkey is definitely leaving. And we spent a solid five minutes just like being sad about Kim Mulkey leaving. They were all very sad. Um, LK was like especially sad. She was very sad. Mm. She put a scarf over her head for her morning. And um, she and we just talked about Kim Mulkey and what a bummer it was that she was leaving and how great she was and is. Well, um, her her track record speaks for itself, right? Absolutely. Big 12 champion like every year, three national championships. Yeah. But beyond that, I think, you know, she held the athletic position program in a place of respectability before anybody else, long yeah. before anybody else. Yeah. Um, and... You know, and women's college basketball is like one of the big three. It really is. And so to be successful in that arena, really, I think uh, Scott Drew benefited from that. Yeah. Our brows benefited from that. Everybody. Yep. Yeah. I think the whole school. I mean, yeah, the women's basketball team was successful in a way that no. I mean, I shouldn't say no other team. Right. We talked about this recently. The tennis team. Very good. Yeah. Tumbling team. Six um, time national champions. Acro tumbling and both baseball Equestrian's and softball. Equestrian's very good. Soccer, you know, like we've had different moments or yeah. whatever. But the women's basketball program has been consistently yeah. respected th- throughout the country right. because of Kim Mulkey. Well, like the men's national championship, the football team getting to the one of the BCS games. Yeah. And then um, those national championships you won are kind of the landmark things, I think. Yeah. I mean, three national championships in the past like 15 years. 21, but yeah. Well, oh, I guess yeah. I mean, the first one from was the first she's one. been yeah. I was thinking because they're like every seven years, but that's two fourteen-year slots, so yeah. Yeah, the first one was two thousand five. Yeah, five twelve, and was it nineteen? I think so. Because in twenty we 18? had the shutdown. No, it was nineteen. Yeah, it was nineteen because they were the last people to they were the last team to win before the shutdown. Yeah. Um, I just can't believe it. Here's a question though. Okay. I don't want to get gossipy. Well, I do, I guess. <laughs> so obviously, Louisiana's home. Yeah. She doesn't have a direct tie to LSU, though. It was Louisiana State. No, yeah. Or Tech or whatever. Law Tech, I think, yeah. So um, do you think there was anything going on? Because LSU's last coach was making $700,000 a year. She was making $2 million here. Um, I don't know the answer to that. I haven't really looked into anything. <laughs> some of the fifth and sixth graders yesterday had some theories yeah. about um, the new stadium placement. and like. Oh, I saw that, too. I didn't. Who's getting there? Are we getting rid of the Gold Dome? I don't think so, but that they, was like the men's stadium. They're making though? a new basketball stadium, I think, like just for basketball for men and women. I think so, and then um, the Farrell Center will still be used for like volleyball and okay. um, other sports and things like that. And where was the I stadium? I think that be? that's my understanding. I don't know. I, I don't know much about it. Like I said, mm. the fifth graders told me yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> um, Should we call LK? <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, I feel like we should call Fallon. She's the one with oh, the Fallon had it. inside track. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so. Yeah, who would know that stuff? Um, Who's our best sports person in Waco? Uh, you know, I don't know. I feel like Craig always knows inside things yeah. somehow. <laughs> somehow Craig knows. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean. I just feel like there. We technically there's no smoke. Right. But I mean. I'm looking for smoke. But for me, the thing for me is like, how is anyone letting Kim Mulkey? Like, how's there not someone whose whole job is like, what does Kim want? Right. I should be getting that for her right now. Right. You know, like, I don't know how you let someone like Kim Mulkey get Well, just like she pays for herself in terms of her appeal and her idea. Yeah. It must, it must have been a deal where, because, you know, Tracy Taff, Uh we both follow her and. She yeah. was reporting Friday. She's like, no, she's leaving. Yeah. And so, you know, I trust she has insider info. Yeah, seems like she does. Seems like she So it seemed, I'm sure there were conversations had, and whoever had the power to try whatever they could, could. And maybe she just wanted to go to Louisiana. Uh, maybe. maybe. But maybe not. I mean, Maybe she I thinks think Texas is getting too liberal. People, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. If I had to take a stab, which for the record I don't, but I'm going to anyways. Okay. But if I had to take a stab at like where fault lies, it is with Baylor and not with Kim Mulkey. Oh yeah, I like they just I to me it just seems like another <laughs> another example where it's like she has been undervalued. Like people undervalue what women bring to a place mm-hmm. cuz it's like I can't believe they let her get away. Three national championships and there's not someone making sure she's all like can you imagine them there not being a very like um public large scale like sort of bidding war with like if Scott Drew tried to leave you know what i mean well yeah that's a good point because you know obviously Matt Rule left but he went to what was clearly a bigger platform kind right. of job so for Mulkey i think the only place she could do that what Stanford Notre Dame maybe or well, UConn UConn yeah but like that didn't happen right she went to a program that's in shambles in a conference that's not any better than the Big Twelve, maybe right. worse. Yeah. Um, you got Tennessee, but they haven't been good as good recently. No, in like a decade. And so you that was the other thing. I thought, why didn't she go to Tennessee? Right. Didn't she play there or something? No. She had or she coached at Tennessee for a hot minute. Maybe, yeah. I um, thought she would go but anyhow, Louisiana's home. Maybe that's it. Maybe. I also had this rotten thought. Okay. Like, this is interesting that this is coming on the heels after the men won their first national championship. What do you mean? Well, it's mean like, well, now this has arrived, so we don't need to, you know, worry about the women's program being as good anymore. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, obviously, no shade at Scott Drew and the men. Like, and, and any, like... We are the second school in the state of Texas to have a national championship, right? You know, like, it's just not not many people have that under yeah. their belt, you know? And so I think the men's program is amazing. But, yeah, then it feels like the women – then, you know, someone was like, well, we don't have to care as much about the women's program anymore. And it's like, what? No. These things don't compete with each other in that way, yeah. you know? Well, and I'm sure Mac Rhodes wants every program he has to be awesome. Yeah, but, hopefully. And we have to leave open the possibility that 
she just wanted to go to Louisiana. Well, we have to leave open the possibility. And they offered her $10 million and rolled out the carpet. We don't know. Uh, yeah, we have no clue. So. I have no clue. But there's a history in this world yep. of women being undervalued. And I just think that someone did not properly understand what she brings to the table. Yeah. All that being said, I would love it if we got that coach from Arizona. Oh, yeah. But so, I don't think we – she seems too wild for Baylor. Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, that's a different conversation about the, the confession, confessional faith of our coaches. Yeah. Um, Scott Drew, I take every bit as authentic what he projects he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that – I don't get the feeling that Kim Mulkey was a spirit-filled water baptized. <laughs> I think she um, – Oh, I'm not saying she's not a Christian. I'm just right, saying yeah. she's not an evangelical Baptist. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Um, that's okay. We've hired presidents and haven't been Baptist. So. Yeah. All right. Uh, Taylor, tell us what you're watching. This is exciting to me. What I'm watching? Yeah. Um, did I tell you I was watching a new show? No, you told me you're watching some movies. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, I am. We, me and Kathleen, we'd long talked about watching all of the Marvel movies, and Had so have you seen some of them, all of them? I've seen some of them, mostly like the big ones. Okay, so you saw you know like Endgame. I. I yeah. You saw Infinity Wars? Yeah. Okay. I feel certain. I feel certain. Actually, wow. When did the first Avengers movie come out? Because I'm pretty sure I saw it with my friend Chad. Like the first all of a movie? Avengers? Um, no. Yeah, the first The Avengers. There's, yeah, I didn't. I'm, that was a... Uh, Nick Gear was around because I processed it with him. It was, really? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I saw it with my friend Chad. I think it was like 2011 or 12. Yeah, I was going to guess like 10 years ago. He was so excited about it. Yeah, I kind of was excited. I didn't get into Marvel then the same way I have. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, another superhero movie. We're doing this again. Yes. And sure, they're all on the same screen. But and now they've like created this whole universe. Well, Infinity War was kind of like Dark Knight Rises. It was a great film. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I think, and then you know that was Black Panther came out not long before that, My God, which Black was Panther another great was film. So good, Black Panther. Yes, Black Panther is like a good film. And so all of a sudden you had the complexity of some character arcs, and then like Thor Ragnarok was like a very successful comedy. <laughs> it's so funny. And then um, so like yeah, I've seen some of them. And then Civil War was a complex storyline. I don't think I saw Civil War. Well, but... you're in for a treat when you get there. Okay, good. We watched, um, or I think there's a chance I went and saw Civil War and just like did not understand what was going on because I'd missed a couple movies yeah. before it or something. But we watched WandaVision. We have Disney Plus, so we watched WandaVision and um, the Falcon and the Black and the oh the Falcon and the yeah I've heard of this. Winter Soldier yeah, which I uh, yeah which I guess kind of is now Captain America and the Winter Soldier. But it's really good. Both of those were really good. Uh, the other thing that was they did really well were the way that the story started to weave together. Yeah. So you had a really a deepened sense of investment in each one. And then the, the cliffhanger at the end or the, what is it called, the Easter egg in each one. Yeah. Where it in the next movie. Yeah. It was very cool. And they did that consistently. Yeah. The other one thing I'll say, though, if you go back and you'll do this because. Well, I did. I've gone to the beginning. So do you watch the first Captain America, right? Yes. Yeah, so we, yeah, we decided to do like storyline chronological, not like release date. So then what would we do next? Do we cut Captain Marvel? 
Yes. We, well, we watched Captain America and Captain Marvel, which is very interesting because the two movies have actually like very, very little to do with each other. Right. Um, so I said to Kathleen last night, if I knew nothing about this universe, this would be a hard start. But what I was going to say is, so the first movie to be made was Iron Man. Yes, the first And then release. it was the Hulk with Edward Norton, which I don't even know if people keep that in the canon. My point is, if you go now back and watch that Iron Man, mm-hmm. um, the, the the this is a phrase I'm going to use, the divinity of the characters is so much more Im- imminent in the beginning. Of, so Iron Man is like dealing with terrorists in our very real world. Yeah. And the problems are like problems we could conceive of yeah versus like thanos with infinious stones by the end right, right like it's yeah. a type of power that it's, but the first couple very much live in our world and the superheroes are kind of believable and you get like yeah these are far stretched but you know there's a lot of attention in the storytelling of how this is possible yeah and then it's well i was talking to kathleen about um there's in um i can't think of in um the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Sam, who plays, who is the Falcon, says that all problems are the big three. And it's like aliens, terrorists. I can't. And um, or technology or whatever. Um, yeah. And like uh, uh, what's the other word? Uh, I can't think of the other one. But it is like the problem in Captain America and the problem in Captain Marvel are these are two different types of things right so in captain america we're talking like nazis terror you know sort of like other humans and then in captain marvel it is like this whole alien situation yeah like otherworldly situation and so i think that's part of why they feel so disparate from each other because it's like these are two different like sides of what marvel kind of deals with yeah and I think, was the Easter egg at the first or second Iron Man, Thor's hammer in the desert? I don't know. I haven't seen Because the thing is, is like both him and Captain Marvel are sort of deus ex machina and that once you introduce them, yeah. you need villains that can match that sort of power. Yeah. And that's when the show really takes a jump. Yeah. Captain Marvel, I think, really is like. I mean, she's the most powerful one. Yeah. Uh, not just in how they portray her, but like if you go to the nerd websites and they rank, yeah, the people she's she's pretty high up. There. That's what I remember. Um, that's what I remember about before the movie was coming out, and then I think she's also in was in Endgame. That people were kind of saying like once she's introduced, it's hard to come up with villains that can match her because she just essentially is. Like yeah, like in Endgame, <laughs> when she comes in, she like just flies straight through the, the whole massive ship and blows it up. It's yes. like how she enters. Yes, right, exactly. And it's like she can fly in outer space, and you know, like, yeah, it's like why don't they just have her fight everything? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I wonder if she can die though. Like if she's like if it's, I don't know what happens. She would. I always thought she'd be a good fight for Superman. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Superman. And those are DC, right? Yeah, DC versus. A different yeah. thing. Yeah, you'll never get that fight because neither brand can have their person lose. Right. Of course not. But that would be like the only interesting fight. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, um, I I pray for you when you get to the second Thor one, Thor Dark World. Oh gosh, is that painful? Is it bad? It's just so bad. Yeah. So there are some of them that are just really bad. I've looked at ranking the movies, and Thor Dark World is always like at the bottom. That okay? Um, I yesterday I was talking to Brie about it, and David Redfield and Lindsay are also both standing. Well, Lindsay was like walking up, but David was like, "I'm doing that same thing." And Brie was like, Lindsay's doing that same thing, too. What the heck? So it was kind of funny. It's in the air. Uh, yeah, I'll stand in there. I guess it's some of it's probably the shows, but. Yeah. And then David said, yeah, Thor 2 was really bad, apparently. Now, what is clever is that, like, the the blue, what's the blue stone in the first Captain America movie? The Tesseract. Like, that ends up being part of the thing, which is just great storytelling that they weave it that far back in there. Well, that well, and it's in Captain Marvel too. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy. I'm excited to see all the the ways everything sort of lands together. And then yes, both of them told me that the Incredible Hulk you can't find that most people don't watch it. The first one. I liked it. You did. Yeah. We but he doesn't it. feel like part of that universe because okay. because it's a different guy. Yeah, it's Edward Marco Flo took over. Yeah. So, um, were there any other movie? Like, does he get his own movie, Mark Ruffalo? No, he should have. Okay. I think there was a, I read an article. He wanted one too, but it didn't happen for yeah. some reason. I love Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, he's great. Well, that is the, uh, the pop culture roundup. Yeah. So anything else? Um, I don't think so. Okay. Let's now go ahead and get a word from our sponsor. Oh wait, no, you have to give me a quiz. Yeah. Okay. Just kidding. I have a quiz for you. Word from our sponsors. You're going to have to wait a minute. But okay. we have a special word from our sponsor this week. We do? Yeah. I'm so excited. Well. Okay. Only a true fan can ace this Academy Awards quiz. Oh, so great. So appropriate. Thank yes, you. Of course. What a great idea. Um. Okay. By the way, last night. Yeah. We watched Nomadland. Did you? And like turned it off and I brought up my phone. And she had just won Best Actress and Best best Film and Best Director. I'm like, well, we're done. We got them all. Oh, we got them. We, <laughs> we got saw them. the best one. <laughs> um, did you like it? The trailer is weird to me. Well, the movie's weird. Have you seen it? No. Um, yeah, I liked it. I will talk to you when you're done seeing it. Okay. Okay. Okay, okay. I didn't know how to, what it's supposed to feel watching the movie. Yeah, that's how the trailer sort of makes me feel. I would like to talk to somebody about it when they're done. Okay. It. Okay, here we go. Which movie won the Academy Award for Best Film in 1953? You oh have options. Gosh. You have options. Yeah. Um, wait, let me guess first. Okay. 53? Uh-huh. Uh, was it... I saw Singing in the Rain. That's an option. Okay. Here we go. No. <laughs> uh, the greatest show on earth. Okay. Okay, Meryl Streep, clearly the queen, but do you know how many Academy Award nominations... She's received over her career so far. 17. My gosh. How did you know that? Oh, no. 20. Okay. 17 was an option, though. Yeah. I'm giving myself credit if I get one of the choices. Yeah. Okay. We all know she has the record for Oscar noms, but do you know which movies Mrs. Streep has actually won an Oscar for? I'm going to guess. Bridges of Madison County. Mm-hmm. She also won. Did she win for Prada? No. Did she win for Julie and Julia? No choices i'm actually kind of surprised by these lists okay the first option is 
There's only three. I guess she's only won three times, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, no. I feel like she's won I, a I bet I could get him if I if I had her movie, her movies in front of me, I could get it. Okay. Bridges of Madison County. Okay, so the oh, first. Oh, um, did she win one for Doubt? Not Doubt. Um, no. Yeah, doubt. Okay, oh. listen, listen, listen. There's so there's one option that Wait, is. Let me. I might get the third one then. Okay. So I got two. Was the third one, um, The Hours? No, okay. that's not on any of these. All right, I give up. And I do well. Okay. Uh, so the first one is Death Becomes Her, 1992, Out of Africa, 1985, The Iron Lady, 2011. Oh, yeah. She won for that. Okay. this. So then this is Kramer vs. Kramer, 1979. Have you ever seen that movie? No. It is the saddest movie I've ever seen. I don't want to see it. Bridges in Madison County, 1995, Doubt, 2008. And then there's another one that's Kramer vs. Kramer, 1979, Sophie's Choice, 1982, The Iron Lady, 2011. So it was, I got those two already. It was that third one on that list. Bridges in Madison County in doubt. And then Kramer is Kramer. Okay. So that's the one? Yeah. Okay. Ah! Nope. So she's choice in the Iron Lady. Iron you said Lady. she won yeah. for the Iron okay. Lady. All right. And Kramer is Kramer. Which, again, such a sad movie. Who is given the longest standing ovation in Oscar history, 12 minutes, while receiving an honorary Oscar award in 1972? 72. Cecil B. DeMille's. That's an option. But no, <laughs> it's Charlie Chaplin. Okay. That's kind of crazy. I didn't know that. True or false, a man streaked across the stage at the Oscars in 1974 on live TV. True. True. Okay. Who famously screeched, you like me, right now you really like me, during her acceptance speech after winning an Oscar for Best Actress in 1985? 85 it was? Mm-hmm. Um... Was it Cher? No. Cher doesn't care, and she knows people like her. Uh, I know. I'm trying to think. 85. Oh, was it? Um, I feel like you're about to get it. A, a face popped in my head, and that went out. Not Jane Fonda. Uh, your choices? Yeah. Diana Ross, Jessica Lange, Sally Field, and Liza Minnelli. Jessica Lange. No, Sally Field. Yeah. Sally Field. My mom asked me recently, she she told, called me and Kathleen and was like, you're supposed to like cast your parents, like who would play your parents if you had a biopic made about oh. you. And I told her Sally Field and she was like, no, it has to be someone younger. And I was like, you're so dumb. Because <laughs> I think her and Sally Field are close to the same age. Sally Field, I think, is older than your mom by quite a bit. Maybe, but. Like 20 years. No. Yeah. When I was growing up, like Mrs. Doubtfire, Sally Field was definitely playing characters that like were my mom's age. Okay. Keep going. I'm going to look up. Okay. She's going to be mad I talked about this. And also then Kathleen sent her a text message that was like, you're the pettiest person I know. But my mom thought it said you're the prettiest person <laughs> I know. How old is your mom? Oh, what a great question. 60 something. Sally so Field 74. Oh, okay. So like a decade older than my mom. Yeah. I just thought Marty was like 40. So She looks very young, I feel. I don't think I... I don't think I inherited that from her. Which of Alfred Hitchcock's masterpieces won an Oscar for best film? Birds. Okay, none of these is an option. Which is okay. strange. Yeah, you're right. Okay, none next. of the ones they said. 
Who was the first African-American woman to win an Academy Award in the Best Actress category? Halle Berry. Halle Berry for Monsters Ball in 2002. She was. Excellent. Dang, 2002. That is embarrassing for the Academy. Yep. One of the best things about the Oscars is that it's live, which is why everyone cringed the year that John Travolta completely butchered. Idina Menzel. <laughs> that? Oh, my gosh. Idina Menzel. That was... I've never seen anything like that. And then the next year, they made a joke out of it, and he, like, touched her face, and people got really angry about that. That he touched her face? Yeah. Why did he touch her face? Uh, I don't know. White males, etc. <laughs> the first Academy Awards were presented in 1929 at a private dinner, but do you know when they were first televised? Yep. They were first televised in 61. 63 is an option. Okay. Okay. They wouldn't have done it. Kennedy had just been assassinated. No, 53. Okay. We all have our favorite Oscar hosts, but only one of them has ordered pizza during the show and offered Letterman. it. Letterman. Uh, or was it Billy option. Crystal? Billy Crystal is an option. But no, it was Ellen. Oh, Ellen. That's right. Two actresses, Judy Dench and Kate Blanchett, were nominated for playing the same historical figure in 1999 in two different movies. Who did they play? Was it Queen Elizabeth? I think so. It says Elizabeth I is an option, so yeah. Okay. The impressive heavy award given out during the Academy Awards has been referred to as an Oscar for years. But what is the statue's official name? Why is it um, called that? Yeah, I, I maybe. Here are the options. Okay. The Academy Award of Merit, the Academy Award of Distinction, the Academy Award of Awesomeness. Which Distinction. Is like definitely probably that last one. Um, no, Merit. Merit. Meryl Streep has the record for the most Oscar. Actor Oscar nominations, which every film buff knows. But here's a trickier question. Which actress slash actor has the record for the most Oscar wins? Jack Nicholson. Okay. That is an option. No. Oh, you know what? It'll be like a composer or something. I bet it's like John Williams. No, it's an actor. Really? Someone's um, more than her? Catherine Hepburn. Four. Four. When Liza Minnelli won Best Actress for her role in Cabaret, she became the only winner, dot, dot, dot. Who, Do you have also won a Grammy or something? or? Uh, who sang a song during her acceptance speech, whose husband, Peter Allen, won Best Actor in the same year, whose parents had also both won Oscars, actress Judy Garland and director Vincente Minnelli. I think I'm going to go with the first one. Who sang a song? Yeah. Nope, her parents also won. Oh, cool. That is cool. Talented family. Seriously. What do the films Ben-Hur, Titanic, and The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King all have in common? You know, I've also been wanting to watch The Lord of the Rings again. Were they three-hour films that won Best Picture? No. Something about scale. They all won every Oscar award they were nominated for. Okay. They are the most successful films in Oscar history with 11 statues each. They all lost the best picture category in a shocking upset. Wait. Those are the options. Oh, they all won 11 awards or whatever that one was. Okay. Like they well, they won best picture. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was I couldn't remember. It feels it feels like Something that would have happened for, like, one of the Lord of the Rings movies not to have won Best Picture. But I remember Titanic won Best Picture, so. Okay, there's always a lot of press about the actors and directors nominated for the Academy Awards. 
But film is so much more than that. Cinematography, art direction, makeup, costume. Which legendary costume designer has won eight Oscar statues? I don't know. Vera Wang. <laughs> okay. Uh, just, just choose your favorite of these names. Edith Head, Jenny Beaven, and Ori Kelly. Edith Head. You nailed it. Great job. Thank you. Costume design and makeup are important factors in creating a memorable character on camera. However, the Oscar for Best Makeup was not given out until 1981 after a film with incredible makeup achievements went unhonored the year before. Which film helped create the Academy Award for Best Makeup? So it was a 1980 film that didn't get any recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, is it Star Wars or something? The options are Tootsie, Planet of the Apes, oh, Tootsie. The Elephant Man. Tootsie? No, it's Elephant Man. Right. I one time saw a really moving interview with Dustin Hoffman where he was talking about Tootsie and how he, when they were doing his makeup, <laughs> he was like, I just wasn't an attractive woman. And I, it was devastating. Like, I thought, I always thought, like, if you could just put makeup on and, you know, like, whatever, like, you could be as beautiful as you wanted to be. Mm. And he was like, I, it just made me realize, like, how much women go through. And, like, I, I always, you know, I just thought they weren't trying hard enough. And then I realized, like, that's not what it's like. Hmm. And it's a really moving interview. He cries. You can't talk about the Oscars without mentioning Marlon Brando. What was memorable about his best actor win for The Godfather in 1973? Brando came to the stage in character as Vito Corleone. He refused to accept the award and instead sent an Apache woman on stage to protect to protest the treatment of Native Americans in the film industry, or he didn't hear his name called and had to be told to walk up to the stage. Three. No, he sent an Apache woman wow. on stage. I know, that's bold. There are some amazing movies made in... This is the last question. Okay. There are some amazing movies made in 1976 that are considered classics today. Which of these nominated films won Best Picture at the 1977 Academy Awards? All the President's Men, Rocky, Taxi Driver, or Network? Rocky. Rocky. Yep, you're right. I feel like I was good from a certain period on. Yeah. Um, I, I probably started paying attention to the Academy Awards in the middle of the 90s mm-hmm. and had recollection of maybe a few things earlier than that. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing that. I love that. Of course. It's a great quiz. Very. Great quiz selection. Thank you. Let's I still pa- think the Twilight one is the best one I've done so far. I think that's something. <laughs> All right. Let's take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. Sponsor. Well, Taylor. Yeah. This is going to be uh, the maybe most um, dramatic ad spot we do. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, we're going to recall a past sponsor. Okay. And tell their story. Okay. This weekend. Yeah. Harvest on 25th. Oh, my gosh. Suffered a tragedy when there yeah. was a spark in the kitchen or something. Mm-hmm. And there was a fire and the temporary closed. Electrical fire. Yeah. So um, they're currently out of business. Yeah. Uh, Toby and Juanita have stated they don't know what the future holds yet. Yeah. But a very promising fundraising campaign has been going on. Yeah. That we've given to. We It's currently at $16,466. Let's get them to $20,000. Yes. So please. if you... Here's, here's what I'm going to say a word about Harvest. Okay. It's not just that they're a swanky Austin kind of establishment right here in Waco, Texas. <laughs> right. It's not just that it's run by two wonderful human beings. Right. 
It's that if I have any kind of real conviction about Wendell Berry, right? What an opportunity to put some um, dollars where my uh, my ideology is, right? And go to a place that serves great food, taken from local spots and made in most scrumbly, rumptious way. Yeah. So Harvest and Twenty Fifth, you you can look anywhere on the internet to find uh, this GoFundMe. Yeah, all and, their social media. And we want you to do that. To we we're so excited because we know they're going to bounce back better than ever. Yeah. And um, there's been 216 donors. Lovely. And, and that means that many people have had great experiences and more. So you need yeah. to get on that train. Give it five dollars if you can. Give ten dollars if you can. Yeah. Let's help them get back on their feet and make Waco the top um, restaurant destination that's always been In destined Texas. to be. In Texas, yeah. yeah. Yeah, please. It's so, yes, what a great ad. Because they just are the loveliest people. It's the loveliest place. The food is very delicious. And you can feel good about where it comes from. So, you know, I just went last week for lunch. I'm glad you got there before it happened. Me too. Yeah, so let's all give together. We can work together and help them out. And we are back. We're back. Well, Taylor, we've got uh, a few minutes here. To talk about something in our main section. Okay. As you know. Yeah. I have been reading The Universal Christ. Uh-huh. Which, let me describe this book this way. Okay. Here is, this is this is the wrong description because it's like not this. But you know how we have like systematic theologies that draw together where we are with our theologies? Yeah. This is not a systematic theology. Okay. But I feel like this book is the summation of the reconstructive mm-hmm. and deconstructive work I've done for probably the last 15 to 20 years. Okay, great. So he has a chapter on atonement. Okay. And um, I um, feel like we're on the same page. Okay. I'm going to read you a few quotes. Me and you? Uh, me and Richard Rohr. Okay. Probably you too. Okay. Here's one thing. He says this. The people who hold the contradictions and resolve them in themselves are the saviors of the world. Mm. Okay. Here's, this may be a little help you more because okay. that needed context probably to be. Yeah. Um, he has another quote following Jesus is a vocation to share the fate of God for the life of the world to allow what God allows for some or for, to allow what God allows for some reason and uses and to suffer ever so slightly what God suffers eternally Then later on he says um, those who agree to carry and love what God loves which is both the good and the bad and to pay the price for its reconciliation within themselves are those who follow are followers of Jesus Christ. So um, he is going to draw on mm-hmm. Rene Girard, uh-huh. who, if you remember when I was talking to Cheryl, mm-hmm. I asked about because ultimately I think what she does is a participation in the form of atonement he's talking about. Yeah. Um, what I really like about what he does in this chapter is that um, by. Well, this is true of all atonement theories that are subjective versus objective. Mm. But if they have a subjective element, that is that is that like we learn something from atonement. It's just not a transaction that does something to us. Mm. There's a participatory element, mm-hmm. which is we participate in the redemptive act of God in the world through, um, as he says, carrying the contradictions within our body and resolving them there. Uh-huh. And this is why Gerard talks about scapegoating, is that... Um, okay. 
with the tradition of scapegoating, which starts in, what is it, Leviticus 17, mm-hmm. where they pick a goat, they send one in the desert with their sins on it. It's like such a powerful psychological need in us. Right. And that is finally resolved, and Gerard will draw on the language in Hebrews of once and for all sacrifice, so that sacrificial systems are done with. Right. Okay? Mm-hmm. So um, this is where I was going. So I, w- I, had, I told you that I had a fight with you and me in my head this morning before we even did this. Yes. Because a few things came to my mind. One, I'm not ready to talk about it all. But uh, one is okay. cancel culture. Right. Um, and so then I was thinking, we've had a lot of nuance about this. And I don't think we disagree on much. But I think what it is is there are stages in redemption. Mm-hmm. And I think um, what he is proposing is maybe like a final stage of redemption. Of the redemptive process. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm wondering what our posture towards that is as Christians. So let me give this some some skin or teeth or whatever they call it. Sure. So um, you remember the incident in the Central Park this last year? Yeah. Okay. The woman yeah. with her dog. So um, there was an African-American man uh-huh. who asked a Caucasian lady to put her dog on a leash. Uh-huh. She flipped out. She's on record like – Threatening to call the police under false pretense. Like No, she does call the police. I or, think. Yeah. 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 Okay. But she said basically what we have her on record doing is like making up a lie. Yeah. Right? She's like saying he's being threatening or something. Yeah. So it's like gravely wounding another human being. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably would have had some, would have been a different story had it not been recorded. Right? Probably, yes. So then... All these things hands happened. She is, um, you know, I think fired from her job. I think so, yeah. Um, has some very serious ramifications. Mm-hmm. Um, then he comes on the record mm-hmm. and says, I don't think that, I don't, I don't want to get him wrong, but basically extends grace towards her. Yeah. To me, that's resolving the contradiction in yourself and offering atonement to the world. That's mm-hmm. somebody participating and the reconciling work of God, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I think in my theology, not only does that redeem her mm-hmm. or give the opportunity, it also sets him free of what anger and what all these things can do to us. Um, so, like, here's what I know enough. I know enough not to latch on that and prescribe that. Sure. Because I'm a white person with a powerful perspective. Right. And a privileged perspective, I should say. Right. Um, and yet I think there's something really beautiful about that. A gift he were to give that mm-hmm. he gave. Here's how much I believe this is right. Like I, I do think what Roar is talking about is the truth. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's like the ultimate truth. Capital T. Yeah. Like the, the really the way out of the brokenness, the grief and the suffering in the world is like this kind of participation in the suffering of God by resolving conflicts within ourselves. Yeah. But like the problem is like how do how do you hold that belief in our world today and say that because you can't prescribe it? Yeah, sounds like a contradiction you should hold and fix within yourself. Um, but like this is what, yeah, and I get that, mm-hmm. but that's true because of where we are culturally, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I yeah, I hear. Your question, 
And I do think I was mostly joking, but also like, like you said, we can't prescribe that for other people. And also I think about like, I, I think I have a lot of questions about what that means for like systems, right? Because we don't just admit and confess that like we are racist people who sometimes who perpetuate racist ideology, but also that we participate in racist systems. Mm -hmm. And so like I don't I, I would have a lot of questions about like because what we are still looking to do is like redeem. I mean, either so like burn down and say this doesn't work or like redeem those systems so that they are no longer racist. And what does this work? I mean, this um, theory and ideology, like, I do think that personally, I, I also agree with you. I think that's capital T truth and part of the work of, like, being and existing as a Christian in this world. But what about, what about the systems? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. Here's well, so here's another thing. I don't know, right? <laughs> and like, I don't like. I have. It's like I have nothing to say to them or the systems because mm -hmm. I don't know what a solution is. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's what's happening either. I think it's just going to leave people more and more disappointed. Um. Well, like, what do you think is the solution for the system? I remember having this fight with even Crowder way back when. Like, does the gospel address macro problems or micro problems? Yeah. And I always said, I don't, all I have are the gospels and all I see is Jesus is working with people. I don't know how to solve macro problems based on the gospel. Mm. <laughs> Um, well, here's another example. Yeah, okay. Like the Amish school shooting. Uh-huh. Like their response was one of the most profound, um, like bewildering things that I've seen probably in the last 20 years. Sure. Okay? They're a different kind of people. Um, they, they didn't even try and solve gun violence or anything. Like that wasn't even their response at all. Mm-hmm. Right. Their response was, let's go find the family of the man who just murdered our children and set up things for them, to, fundraisers for them and weep with them. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, that was what they did. <laughs> so my question is, what is the like? So there's these systemic problems. I think I can talk about what atonement asks of me on a individual level i don't know what this means on a corporate level okay so i guess the question i have is like so do you not feel like the gospel calls us to act systemically no i do i just i think that jesus won by losing yes agreed and i think that most of our notions of winning are winning by winning They're about getting political power or this kind of power or this kind of power or changing this system or making this law or putting this person in jail or, you know, this and that. And it's like 
yeah, those that's like for me what you do in a government where there's civic rules and where humans are broken individuals and you have to have some kind of rule of law. I just don't think those things are going to give people what they're looking for, ultimately. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I think that's true. That maybe what we need, sort of spiritually and personally, is it um, like sort of to achieve like some sort of fulfillment is that what you're talking about yeah um i think maybe then yeah the answers we're looking for are a little more um personal uh so let me let me step out of some of these content or do you want to finish interrupting um i don't know i don't know (laughs) Um, also just as a note to our listener, Josh did not tell me until this morning we were going to be talking about this. So I'm still processing a lot in my head, but, um, yeah. Um, yeah, no, you go. What were you going to say? So I was like, let, let me try and step out of these potentially contentious things we've named already. Right. And into my own life where I can wear this principle. Right. Uh So I have had a hard last two weeks and most of that has had to do with, my sense of an injustice of me having to give up my time to take care of our foster children because Lindsay's out of work time, mm-hmm. time off. And so, like, any time the kids need anything right now, yeah. it's like me, 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 me. And, and yet none of my other responsibilities have been... Lessened. Right. right. So, like, I was seething with anger mm-hmm. for, like, days at, like, this is why this is happening. This is not fair. This is, like... And the more I talked about this... And I think I had like legitimate concerns about the way that I had been screwed over by choices that had been made. Mm-hmm. But then, like, ultimately, like, the only person I'm torturing is myself. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that is going to rescue me is if I just accept what is and make peace with it and move on and resolve these conflicts within myself. Yes. And bear away the violence of the world. In no. Um, in that situation, yeah, definitely. But it's like that's different than systemic racism that is causing the like semi-permanent oppression of whole groups of people. Yeah. Um. So I think the thing I, I so I I agree with you and Richard Rohr and about this like theory of atonement and our participatory nature and resolving certain things inside of ourselves. Um, I think, but I guess I just think there's a difference between like our personal experience and then like, a, and then the, the work we are called to do or the way we are called to care for people um, in light of systemic issues, I guess. Yeah. But how do you think you really change systemic racism? Yeah, how do you eat an elephant, like, one bite at a time? Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't – I what this, are the, is, this is what, what I think bites? it is. When you, like – when you are talking about, like, winning by losing, it's like I think, you know, I will um, – you know, for me, I will show up. I will attend rallies. Like, I don't – 
if I ever have a chance to speak to it in some sort of like meaningful or policy making way, I will do that. Mostly I will show up. I will, you know, be there for my friends. I will speak up any chance that I am given. But I think probably every day of my life I will feel like I have lost the battle against like systemic racism and homophobia and you will feel like you lost in what sense and that it still exists Mm. and so I think it, it like I think that and I do think you're right and like a lot of the ways people want to fix it are probably not helpful or good but um but every, it's still people trying their best, you know what I mean? And also it's like what people can imagine. Whereas like while these things still exist so systemically, while there are still entire departments, you know, police departments that are fully being given the opportunity to like wage war on American citizens, mm-hmm. like I can only imagine so many things that would solve these problems. But once we've walked a little further down the road, my imagination will probably grow larger. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then I will be probably, and then I, and certainly someone much smarter than me, will be able to imagine like a world in which something else can happen, something beautiful, something meaningful, something that brings oppression, you know, to its knees in a way that like, we just can't imagine now. Here's a question, and I'm asking this sincerely. Right. Can you think of an example okay. where a change was successfully made? And I guess the debate is going to be about successful, as I ask this. But because of a policy change. Yeah. Smoking. Okay. Like 20 years ago. There were smoking sections in restaurants. The numbers about like people smoking, like statistically, many more people smoked. Um, there were like you know, I remember growing up in cars. There were like the cigarette yeah. things and. Okay, that's a decent example. Do you think there's a difference though? Well, just do you think that's working with sexism and racism? That policy changes are making the country less sexist and racist. I think some, I think, yeah. I mean, I think some of the statistics about this, like, generation of kids and, like, what they believe. And, like, I, like last night we're talking about Jacob and Esau mm-hmm. and we're talking about who can hold property in, like, anci- you know, the ancient Near East. And I was like, women couldn't, you know, like, the firstborn born always got the property and the blessing and blah, blah, blah. And if, unless it was a woman, it had to be a man. And they're like, that's so dumb. I don't think they said dumb, but they're like, that's, they were so mad. They like, it seemed impossible to them. They couldn't believe it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think, you know, there is data that shows that like. But don't you think that's in those fifth and sixth graders, Mm -hmm. a million moments of being educated, nurtured and loved by people who would establish a worldview in them that had an allergic reaction to that kind of patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's certainly part of it. So I would, but in my mind, that's those things. That's you. That's their parents. That's not a law. 
Yeah. Um, certainly, but I do think there's, like, educational pedagogy has changed. Like, the understanding of the importance of representing. Like, and these are policy. Like, educational policy is has changed and is different. And so I don't think it's just what they're learning at home and at church, although hopefully it is, but it's also what they're learning at school and how they're learning it. Yeah. Um, I, this is my thesis. Okay. My thesis is that change happens to us, we receive it when it's presented in weakness and not in strength. So, yeah, like I think the the reason I'm always slow to get on board with movements, not movements, ideologically, I can latch onto them right away. Sure. Right, Black right. Lives Matter. Right. White Lives Matter is a horrible statement. <laughs> right, because of right. What, like I get that because of the context. Yes. Right? Yeah. It's not hard for me to say this is right or this is wrong, but um. I think that because movements are political and they exist in that realm, it's it's still vying for power. Right. And when things are presented as a power-grasping thing, those who are inclined to agree are going to grip harder against it because it's like it's trying to force this on me. Right? Right. It's trying to take something. Whereas um, – if it's from below, if it's from weakness, if it just is, and I'm invited to see it and not do anything other than observe it on its own terms, then like I'm I'm unguarded in a way that that'll engage with it, not otherwise. Yeah. But I think I think the movement of a group of oppressed people always is from below. <laughs> Yeah, and that's, I mean, I've named this a million times. It's, it's so hard to do ethics as a American white person because I am the Roman. Right, yeah. And so I think it's hard. And it's so hard not to think like, oh, these are equal groups of people vying for power. But like an oppressed group is always, what they're vying for is their lives, you know? Like... Mm-hmm. They're not, it might look like power that they're vying for, but it's like, because that's the imagination of the society that we're in. Do you know what I mean? Is that yeah, that I is agree like, with that. Um, that's the thing you can vie for, but really the thing they're vying for is like any group of oppressed people is like their lives but and their livelihood. But I think it feels like power. I had a lunch with Cheryl last week. I don't mind saying her name. Long? Um, yeah, and okay. she works at Baylor for listeners in the um, multicultural affairs office, mm-hmm. and so has proximity to folks who ethnically have, are on margins and are, co- co- you know, so is constantly thinking these streams. So I just asked her, you know, I think there was news of the most recent Asian hate yeah. thing that happened, uh-huh. and I just said, you know, who does this? Tell tell me about the student who does this, and I said, you know, is it the frat kid or like who? You know, who is this person? Right. And it was interesting because what she got to pretty quickly was this individual, and this is what we also see, I think, on a national scale in terms of our politics, is a person who has a kind of scarcity mindset mm-hmm. and thinks there's only so much pie and that these people um, are taking something. Mm-hmm. 
And I think, though, that that is why it always, as you said, in the imaginations of our country, it boils down to power, in my mm-hmm. mind, because people feel like people are grabbing something from them. Yes, but they're not. Right. Um, yeah, but that's why I'm like, need new marketing, you know? Um, that's yeah, why but I think- it's like, to me, that's like, we can't put that on this this these already oppressed people like that's what i'm saying like it to me it's my job it's my job as a white person as a white person to as a straight person as a you know pastor which is to a, step into those roles yeah and say like no one's taking anything from you nothing has been taken from you by these people but there are people taking things from you but they are not the people you think they are. Do you, but like, what if they're not going to listen to you? I already know that. <laughs> but then why keep doing it if they're not going to listen? Because it is my job to lose every day so that other people can live full lives. That is the task I have taken up. Yeah. But then also, are you saying, I'm going to keep trying this thing that I know is not going to work because another way won't work either? No. So, like, I'm always looking for a new way to describe something mm-hmm. or a new way to talk to somebody or a new. And just for the record, most of those good ideas come from people of color and yeah. gay people. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I'm, like, always out there trying to be a better ally. And the reality is, like, <laughs> I don't even think I'm good at it because I can't come up with anything new or good. It's always people of color or oppressed people telling me like hey this is actually a more helpful thing (laughs) and i'm like okay true i will try that now um but i (laughs) i saw a tweet this week that said like um if a white person says something particularly insightful about like the black experience or like it is it is likely that a a black person has already been saying that for a long time (laughs) and that i thought like that feels so true to me um so i so yeah yeah i do no i'm not gonna perseverate right what does that mean um like i'm not gonna do something over and over and over again if it's clearly not working like at some point and this is the conversation we've had like at some point i'm not gonna if we're not gonna agree on racism and the thing you're gonna keep saying is like i behave this way and it is a racist way and you're just like but it's not racist because i said so but like it is i'm not i'm not going to keep having that conversation with you at some point we will stop having the conversation because because that to me is like you know the levels of we talked about the levels of disagreement uh, um what is it matthew 17 18 Um, Uh, 18 yeah and like talking about you know yeah that's a very helpful text it is because it's about also drawing boundaries yeah right exactly yeah okay well i'm sorry to have bombarded you with this no what that's that's uh the task we've taken up in this podcast yeah. is that like we talk about things. i could have sent you a heads up though well yeah it's i was kind of fun actually just like processing and listening hmm um you had some good answers thank you 
So I actually haven't read The Universal Christ. I think I'd like it's, it. It's so good. Yeah. I don't know. You know, books are about timing. I always say that. Yeah, that's true. And um, it just really... Richard Rohr, I have to read slowly and digest. Yeah. But it's like I really think and I pray differently when I'm done reading. Mm-hmm. I'm more apt to pray. Yeah. And um, Yeah, Richard Rohr is one of those guys that really leads you... Like, you can feel that the work he's doing is, like, whole, sacred because it really is, like, yeah. you're more in touch with your, like, spiritual self when it's over. Yeah. So, that was that was good, though. You you recentered me on some thoughts that I feel like I, I own, but help me. And then I think we found some agreement, too. I think so. Yeah. All right, listeners, thanks for tuning in. Yeah. I've got a 1230 lunch out at the mall, so i got to get going. Okay. But um, you're just the best, Taylor. You're the best. All right. See you, friends. Bye, you guys.